Families have a lot going on. Let Ollie help manage the mental load with new cognitive health supplements for everyone four and up, like delicious Lolly Focus Pops or Lolly Mellow Pops for kids. And for parents, try three new Brainy Chews to help you focus, chill out, or get energized. Find these cognitive health buddies for the whole fam at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. On this episode of Narcissist Apocalypse, we talk with an abuse survivor named Natalie, and Natalie was in a controlling relationship with the victim playing abuser. It's a story of gaslighting, manipulation, constant drama, silent treatments, Compulsive lying and hoovering. Welcome to Narcissist Apocalypse, everyone. I am Brandon Chadwick, and with me today, we have Natalie. How are you? I'm pretty good. Thanks. How are you? I am doing well, and if you want to be a guest like Natalie is today, please do go to our website at NarcissistApocalypse.com. Top of the page, there's a button that says Guest Form. When you click on that button, it takes you to our Guest Form page. There you can read all of our instructions and either send us an email at NarcissistApocalypse at gmail.com or fill out our Guest Form and press the Submit button. And please do send it in the format that we ask for. And today you're going to hear Natalie's story. Natalie was married previously to the relationship that we are going to hear about today. So just so that's not confusing, you're going to hear a little bit about someone else first and then the story of the person that this is about. And this is a story that you might think the story is over and it kind of keeps on going a little. There's a lot of post-separation stuff, Hoover stuff, harassment that goes on in the aftermath of everything. And, you know, Natalie tried to like remove herself from this situation as best she could, but she kept on finding her way back or the other person just wasn't letting them leave quietly. So a really big thank you to Natalie for being here with us today. There is no content warning for today's episode. And now with that out of the way, I'm going to get out of my way and your way. Natalie, the floor is now yours. So I grew up in a, my version of normal family, um, which I thought everybody grew up with. And that was with parents that were together, parents that are still together, that demonstratively showed their love for each other, um, had a great relationship. Um, We had a stable upbringing, most probably, you know, maybe I guess you could describe as a middle-class family, we were comfortable. There was no, there was no sort of stress around having family. Our, um, 
you know, parents were, were together. We, we were lucky. We had, you know, we lived, we lived comfortably. We, you know, we went away on great holidays, every holiday. And, and, and I had a really nice upbringing and, um, that was my, my parents' relationship was my model of relationships and my expectations of what relationships would be like. They, they liked each other. They, um, they did everything together, totally become enmeshed as one person as, as a, you know, living in their seventies now living, living their best life. And, and so I grew up thinking that that's what people's lives were like, you know, I didn't know about trauma that, that, you know, children go through and dysfunctional families and dysfunctional relationships. And it does make me, um, recognize in the people that I meet that haven't had that positive upbringing as children and haven't had a stable environment to live in and and no dysfunction I do recognize that that it's more challenging for people in those situations when they don't have positive role models um and it's something that I'm very conscious of when I when I parent with my ex-partner as well um we always made sure that our disagreements or negotiations were done offline and away from our kids and my daughter who's now 19 said to me maybe 2 years ago i never realized that anything that there was ever any any um discord or um difficulty with between the two of you because i never saw it every you know every interaction i saw you were always positive and and um you kept everything away from me she said I'm, i feel like i've had a really good experience with you two as parents and i'm really lucky because i know through her friends not many people have such positive relationships with their parents and she's decided to go on and become a psychologist dealing with kids in dysfunctional upbringings because she thinks that she's really lucky and she see she's seen how it's been done well even though we were separated um so she wants to be able to help people with things like that so yeah i think i think my upbringing really helped me parent through the breakup in their relationship. I'm quite a rational, I, I'm emotional, but I'm quite rational as well. And I can, I can see what needs to be done and how it should be done. And I can make sure it's done in that way. Um, and I think, you know, all of that goes back to, to having positive role models and, and being, nurtured as a child and being in a nurturing environment um and the most important thing for me as a parent was to make sure my kids felt that they were safe and this they were secure and they were in a loving environment that they had a voice so did you have any beliefs or traits that may have been admirable but eventually worked against you yeah i think the message that um you know, above all, you need to be nice to people and you need to be kind to people. 
and treat people well, it, it conversely can mean that you are taken advantage of and that you're walked all over. Um, I remember saying to my mum and dad a bit after the relationship ended, we were always given this message that we needed to be nice. And I, and I think, fuck it, sometimes I don't think we should be. And that was something I most probably learned through this relationship was that I needed to be a bit stronger in standing up for myself um, and, and calling out that bad behaviour, not trying to smooth it over and um, appease her because a lot of the time I would be spe- I would be spending effort trying to de-escalate the situation and that means giving in um, in, in that context because you get so worn down. Um, so yeah, treating people kindly, being nice, you know, maybe I needed, and, and this is a message that I have, that I have passed on definitely to my daughter so far is you need to, you need to call out bad behavior and you need to be clear on what your boundaries are. I don't, I think my boundaries were maybe too wishy-washy. Um, especially in the early days, um, because, you know, I, I, I did get walked all over. Um, and I was naive as well. You know, I hadn't, I'd, I'd had a long, long-term relationship before this of, of 13 years with a very rational person that, um, to me seemed normal, you know, um, I had never encountered this sort of narcissistic behavior or dysfunction that sort of thing. So I was naive to all of that. And I, but I think that point is actually something that I forgot to mention because I think that makes you a target. She chose me for something, for a reason. You know, I think there's some sort of criteria that whether it's defined in her head or not, she doesn't stumble into a relationship with a person randomly you are targeted for whatever reason. And I think that naivety and, and niceness and all that sort of stuff is, is part of the criteria for, for, for that. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. So where does your story with your abusive ex begin? So my story begins um, when I had just come out of the end of a long-term relationship. I'd been together with my partner for about 13 years and we had two kids together. Uh, And it was my first queer relationship, but 
we had sort of become more of a companionship than anything. Um, and we had officially separated, but were still living in the house that we owned together because we really didn't know what to do next. But at about the six to eight month, month mark of doing that, one day everything just changed. Um, I was running a community family event and we had someone arrive from a local queer organisation to work at the event. I didn't really give her much thought. I'd never really, I'd not, or I hadn't met her before um, and I was busy wrangling kids. But um, when she left, we made eye contact and it was a very brief moment, but it was unmistakable and it was like a bolt of lightning ran through me, I think. I don't know if you've ever had that moment, but it was for me the moment that changed everything. Um, and so that night I couldn't stop thinking about it and I made up an excuse to email her about another upcoming event. And literally within two days, we had organized to meet up at a hotel in the city after the event. And that night I would describe most probably as one of the best nights of my life. I'd never done anything remotely this risque before or since, um, but I really just let my guard down and went with it and I had a great night. It was great fun. I had said uh, after breaking up with my, my ex that I needed a bit of fun in my life and this is exactly what I wanted in my next partner, someone fun. And so after that, it just went crazy. What ensued was what I now know to be a very intense love bombing. She was the master of it. It was intense contact by phone, text, turning up to my office with balloons and a picnic on my birthday, which was in within a week of me meeting her. Uh, amazing sex, bending over backwards to do things for me, finding a new apartment for me to live in, um, wanting to see me all the time, flowers, chocolates, chocolate-covered strawberries sent to my office, you name it, she did it. And it was so full on. By the second week, I was declaring my love for her. I'd never experienced anything as intense and exciting. I felt absolutely amazing, just like a queen. Um, and clearly I'd never heard of love bombing and had just come out of a long-term relationship. So I was totally naive and right for it. Um, but for me, I was just letting myself experience all the emotions because they just felt amazing. And she was a ball of fun. And the connection felt that I felt in my mind was real and completely raw. Uh, I felt like she could help me be 100% myself uh, with no reservations, no facade on my part. You know, she got me to share my deepest, darkest secrets and she shared hers. And it was a really intoxicating feeling. Like I really felt that I knew her and that she was, you know, getting to know me. I was, I was hooked. I was in. I was just ready to give up everything for this person. Um, and, you know, it largely continued like that for the next year or so, um, a really blissful feeling of just overwhelming love um, and fun and passion and connection emotionally and physically. At the time, I was sharing my kids with my ex 50-50, so uh, every other week, I was totally free. And those weeks I lived at her house with everything that I needed, a complete wardrobe. I was just there 24-7. And the other week I was at home with the kids. 
Um, at that point, my ex and I had agreed that we wouldn't introduce our kids to a new partner until the relationship hit the six-month mark at least. Um, this meant that in the beginning there was no real conflict over the kids and and no sort of sharing of that part of my life. Um, I did notice at that point, though, that she had some pretty conservative views on how children should be raised. Um, she grew up in a as a youngest child of a wealthy fundamentalist Catholic family who were heavily involved in the church. Uh, it wasn't a nurturing environment by any stretch. She had a, a domineering mother who was very controlling and very cold. Uh, and I don't believe that her emotional needs were met growing up. And I feel like that there was undiagnosed mental illness, personality disorders in her mother and potentially her siblings, because there were issues with the other sibling with one dying um, prematurely. Um, over the first year, like aside from that beautiful love bombing, sort of fuzzy, amazing feeling, there were red flags that popped up that I chose to ignore for the most of it um, because things are things are great and I was having a lot of fun and I felt like I minimised those red flags at the time and maybe maybe they were sort of smaller than what they would become over time. Um, yeah, a lot of my ne needs revolved around sex and when you have someone who you feel knows you inside and out and can meet those needs, it's pretty exhilarating. She made some over-the-top gestures pretty early on as well, such as changing me to be the beneficiary of her will. Um, then she expected me to change my will to her. I had just sold a house, so I had some cash behind me. Um, she became very upset when I told her that my children were the beneficiary and that that wouldn't be changing. I didn't really want to be the beneficiary of her will and especially not so early on in a relationship um, because we hadn't really been together very long. It was maybe two months or something like that, um, but she didn't listen and, and um, did what she wanted. I don't think I noticed at the time or, or maybe I, I did minimise this, but when I look back, everything was on her terms. So where we went, what time we had to be ready, what I wore, how I did my hair, and at first it was like more sort of warm encouragement. Oh, you should dress this way or you should wear your hair this way, that sort of thing. Um, and I was happy happy to go along with it because I felt good. She was she was making me feel good. Um, and, you know, she was piling all this love and affection onto me. But I think I, it wasn't until later that I realised just how controlling it was. It, it sort of morphed into nothing I chose was good enough. You know, my car that I drove wasn't good enough. I, you know, I didn't get the right brand of product or, you know, right, buy the right thing, uh, that sort of thing. So these little things that sort of felt felt nice at the beginning became little digs and then over time they started to become orders and outright put-me-downs. Um, and if I was ever late or had to change my plans, that would just escalate into the most full-blown drama and fights. Um, I'm a pretty easygoing person and I had a, a job and children and commitments and sometimes plans had to change. But, you know, 
it, I, I had to be prepared for the wrath of, of her if I did change something. Even if it was just something was, I was 15 minutes later or 20 minutes later. Um, so they, those were the sorts of things that I tended to ignore at the beginning, but they started to become bigger. Um, when I started seeing her, my son was three, uh, and he was struggling at times because he really didn't understand what was going on between me and his other mother. I was his primary caregiver. I had moved out of the family home, even though he was seeing both of us week about, it was destabilizing for him at that point. Um, and my girlfriend had little patience for, you know, his she wasn't even seeing them, but hearing about the the things that were going on with him, you know, like any tantrum that he might have. Uh, and she was full of advice on how I should deal with it. Um, and we we were vastly at odds with the way that I parented. And so they would the, those sort of situations would cause arguments. And I remember one argument, and it was about six months into the relationship where I said to her, you know, you knew that I had kids the day you met me. If you don't like them, meaning don't like kids, why did you pursue this relationship with me? And her response was that she thought that I, once that I had her and was in love with her, I would give my children up to my ex-partner. And so she expected me to give my kids up for her. And I, I really should have, you know, that was, that was a ginormous red flag. It wasn't a little one. It was a massive one. And I really should have walked away at that point then and there. But foolishly, I thought that over time that she would get to know them and come to accept them and enjoy being around them. But no, I was, I was wrong. Most of the issues that we did have over the course of our relationship were around our kids and she absolutely resented them and would never change. And it was a huge source of conflict, internal conflict for me. So, but again, at the, at, at the beginning, I tended to sort of just try and park it and hope that things would get better over time. One of the first real arguments we had came about because I asked her to drop into my house um, while I was at work to pick up some clothes. We were going out after work, and um, I think when she when she was in my bedroom, she searched my room and found an old diary that I'd written about a small crush that I had on a woman that I knew. I'd also written in the diary that I knew that this woman wasn't right for me, and that she also wasn't interested in me in any more than a friend. Um, so it was put to get put to bed before I even really started seeing my girlfriend. It was it was a while before. That night, the moment I hopped into the car, she started grilling me about her. And I knew the only way that she would have known about this would have been to see my diary, but she adamantly denied it. Um I, I discovered that, you know, she was a compulsive liar at the time. This is this is just an example of, of you know, the times that she lied and how she lied. Um, and there was, but there was no way that she would have known about this woman in, in any other way. And I guess this is when I first started to understand her fear of abandonment and the perceived threat of other women and how that would affect her. 
she would not let it go and it became an enormous issue that not just that night um, for, for many months afterwards and that there was nothing that I could say that would appease her. And I remember the first time that the two of them met socially, she was openly hostile to my, to my friends and my friend was confused because she hadn't met her before. Um, and embarrassingly, my girlfriend pushed me up against the wall and started kissing me really intensely right in front of her. And it was just this show of like, I, I own this person. I'm, you know, I'm in control. And it was just so embarrassingly juvenile. But that's it. Whenever there was a perceived threat, that's what she would be like. She would, she would go out of it. She thought that there was someone that liked me or that I liked, she would go out of her way to try and alienate them in the community. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. Um, and, and this sort of jealousy and insecurity, it, it continued to manifest itself in different ways over the course of the relationship. I remember like early on, the first time I went out with some friends a couple of weeks after we met, um, I, I went out on my own with, with my friends and I'm not the sort of person that typically has my phone on the table during dinner. And at this particular night, I had it in my bag and I was having a really nice time and I didn't check my phone at all until I got in the car at the end of the night. Well, I opened my phone and it was just an explosion of missed calls and text messages about some manufactured drama. When I finally called it back, I was just met with a barrage of insults and hysteria over something that was so insignificant I can't even remember what it was about I remember the fight because it was so massive um and I was just the absolute worst person in the world for abandoning her in her moment of needs and and this was this was the first time I saw what would go on to be a pattern of explosion and withdrawal so not answering calls for days on end until she decided to come back. And she would come back as though nothing happens. But she would put you through these days of, of, of ignoring your calls. And, and I think taking pleasure out of seeing that you were trying to get in contact with her and you were trying to fix the situation, resolve it, um, I think, you know, it's such a game to her. and. It was a pattern that continued whenever I did something without her, whether it be choosing my kids over her, going to visit my parents for the weekend or spending time with my friends. Every time I made plans without her, I'd have to face this prolonged attack of her trying to get me to change my plans. And I remember one time when I look back on it now, I'm so ashamed of my response and what I did. Um, it's, I still feel that that feeling of shame run through me and it was when uh, I used to run a queer community family group and twice a year we'd go camping together 
and there'd be, it was a big event where there'd be about 50 or more families that would come to the event from all over the state. And this time around, my parents were going to meet us there because they were down the coast and they were traveling up to, and timed it so we could actually be there together, me and the kids and, and them. Anyway, for months leading up to this event, I was on the receiving end of 10 million reasons why I shouldn't be going. And she was absolutely relentless, literally daily barrages that intensified the closer we got to the events. And it became so intense and draining that I ended up pulling out a day or so before we were due to go. It went, and I used the excuse to my parents that the weather didn't look great for camping, it was raining in the lead up. And I pulled out and I feel so embarrassed that I did that. And what ended up happening is my ex ended up taking my kids down so they could spend time with my parents. And I look back on that now and I think, I, I, I sort of think to myself, you must be, must have been so weak to do that. But, but then I also remember that um, the, the intensity and if she wanted something, she would not stop until she got what she wanted. Everything revolved around her and it would be just be so draining. It would wear you down over time. And that's, you know, I think that's a really good example of something that was so important to me um, to spend time with my family and my parents. I, I gave up for her. And I, I would not think I would be the type of person that would do that. But that was the effect that she had um, had on me. And she was really good at manipulating me um, to get what she wanted. And she was great at punishing me if she didn't get what she wanted. Um, and like I said before, she'd turn, a, turn, turn her affection off like a switch and would withdraw from me and then come back when she decided to. And it was so disorientating because it was just not something that I was ever exposed to previously. Um, there were also behaviours that were at odds with my values. She was a sort of person that was always hustling. I would say I used to describe it as very little scruples, so little conscience, and was always in it for herself. There was no bounds um, as to who she would uh, who she would affect and it w would involve things like stealing from her friends stealing from her employers she was always looking out for what she could get always putting herself first in that situation and really didn't matter what it, what it was um she didn't, she didn't care she really didn't have um empathy you know, she'd steal products for, from employers and scam. Like her employer, one of her employers would run competitions for holidays and prizes and she would always sort of pressure them to choose her friends to win and be really obvious um, that she was involved in it, but she didn't care. Um, shoplifting was a huge part of who she was. It, it would be everything from groceries to clothes, Um the presents that she was giving me would be shoplifted um, on birthdays. And at Christmas, I'd be given like 20 to 30 different gifts. And some were a little weird, clothes that didn't fit. I could never return them. And I sort of couldn't understand why. Because she'd never had receipts. Um, and it's only, I only sort of started to understand what was going on after she had a breakdown about a year and a half in, maybe. 
and came clean about it. One time she was caught at a garden centre and I had to, I wasn't with her, but I had to accompany to the police station. She was arrested. She was really lucky that ultimately they only gave her a caution. And I think that slowed her down a little bit for a while, but I know that she picked up again later on. And there were other risk-taking sort of behaviours such as dangerous driving. It was really frightening to get in the car with her and she would lose her licence every couple of years. Very early on in in our relationship, she told me that she would ask friends and family to take points for her. She was caught by a speed camera or running a red light. Um, And I said to her, don't ever ask that of me because I won't do it. Uh, And I'm not perfect. I'm no angel, but I'm not going to break the law and enable someone to drive irresponsibly. I really thought that she was dangerous. She would go into a disassociative sort of state um, sometimes, and I worried that she would kill someone. Um, and for the unfortunate thing was, she got really bad car sickness, so she could only she could drive apparently. Um, so I was never allowed to drive. So, you know, things like things like that were starting to amp up, I guess you can say, and I felt that over time my I could feel that my crown was slipping. She's very good at criticising me, especially if I made a decision on something without her, like where my kids went to school. She wanted them to move to a particular school that was closer to my new house, and there's no way I was going to do that. They're at an amazing school, and I didn't care if I had to drive them. 20 minutes, half an hour, but for years, she would not let that go. And at least once or twice a week, she would bring it up. And that would be her pattern. You know, when, when you would, when an argument would happen, she would bring up the same grievances over and over again, whether they were related to the argument or not. She really resented the time that I spent with the kids uh, and had no interest in getting to know them. And I would constantly hear, why can't you ever put me first? Um, and that was that was her refrain. Like I would never put her first because I would choose the kids over her. Or if I had the kids, I couldn't go to an event that she wanted me to go to. And that was just the way it is. But you know, she would never put me first after all of the love bombing wore off. Um, it was really difficult to even get her to come over for dinner once a week when I had the kids. If she did, she would arrive just before dinner was served and leave almost immediately after. And I felt really sad for the kids because they did want to get to know her because she appeared like she was lots of fun. Um, But I think to protect them over time, I made my life with the kids very separate from my life with her because it was easier and I wanted to protect them. So it ended up, you know, we almost became like we had a part-time relationship. It was on one week, off the other, on one week. And the week that it was off, it was mainly me being berated for all the things that I was doing wrong. And we would clash about our different views on different values, views on things and, and of people as well. My life, it was important for me to... To live simply, I didn't want to overcomplicate my life, and I'm a kind of, I guess I could say, a positive person. In that, I see that I see the best in things and best in people. I don't let things get to me too much, and 
one of the most important things for me and thing that I tell my kids, it's important to be kind and nice to people. She was the opposite. <laughs> she had a, a nasty story and a nickname for all of her friends and acquaintances. You know, there was Crazy Mary who had a breakdown, Wife Basher, Filthy Liz, and she would share the most private details of these people's lives with absolute glee. And she really liked to look down on others. Um, but the irony was that people outside of her personal circle, which is like her intimate relationship, would describe her as a really generous and loyal person. So there was a real um, contrast to her public face and her private face. No one, no one in her social circle would see her private face. Um, and we would argue over how negative she was because I, it really got me down. And we would argue that I didn't take her side on things, so I saw things differently than her. And I remember once um, she said to me, why do you have to be so nice as though it was a character flaw? And I just, I, I, how do you respond to something like that? You know, what is wrong with being nice? And so like her, like her relationship, she would have very intense friendships that would, would really dominate her time and they would she would meet someone and and it's almost like she'd love bomb them as friends um and they would become really intimate friends and but eventually that for some for whatever reason they would come crumbling down at the end she'd be on the phone to them constantly for hours at a time I really don't know how she fit her life in because she wasn't on the phone to me for hours, she was on the phone to her friends for hours, um, and she would learn and share the most intimate details with them. And it was almost like she was del delighting in gathering all that personal information on people. It was almost like a, a weapon in in some way. Um, and she would she would tell people see people's secrets and. You know, if she was on a friend phone to her friend and they were talking about something really intimate, she'd put the phone on speaker so I could hear what was going on and, you know, it, she'd delight in getting that information out of people. But unfortunately, her friends also weren't immune from her bad behaviour. Um, she even stole from her best friends when, when I was with her. Um, one night they were having a combined birthday party with about 20 or 30 people. And at the end of the night, my girlfriend went and got the bill and tallied up what everybody owed and then went around the tables and collected the money from everyone, including me. And what I found out years later from someone else that was at the event was that she overinflated the bill and, went and made everyone pay more than they should have, including me, and then pocketed the difference. I didn't know about this till years later, but I knew something had happened because friend must have realised and they they just stopped speaking instantly after that night. And, um, you know, the girlfriend, my girlfriend, said, I really don't know what's happened. You know, she's just dumped me and I'm the victim and she's been mean to me, blah, blah, blah. Um, and that's how our friendships go. They, they're super intense, emotionally intimate, then an explosion of some sort where that they have done her wrong and she is the victim. And then 
you know, the next thing that comes on is that she will try and damage that friend's reputation in the community. So she appears to be the victim. She likewise, she got into rows with all of her neighbours. Every single one of them over, over her adult life, living out of home, they always did something to her, threatened her safety. I got a call in the middle of the night one night with her saying that she had to call the police because her neighbour was banging on her door and threw something on it. And I turned up and there she was hysterical and the neighbour's going, I haven't done anything. Um, and someone kept kicking her car, which she blamed on the neighbours again. And I, I do wonder when I think back to this, whether it was actually all a manufactured story um, and that she was doing it to herself um, because it coincided with when I started spending less time with her. And so I feel like it was, you know, was it all tied up with that fear of abandonment and trying to get me to come back and to be there as much as I used to be? Um, but I do think that it was something that she did herself, that it, it wasn't it wasn't the neighbours who, who luckily for them moved out not very long after. So I think she drove them out. So after listening for a while, I think we really get a good picture that the person you're with is all about control, selfish needs, manipulative to get what she wants, very intense, a lot of drama. It just seems to always be something, but you're still with her. However, around the two and a half year mark, your relationship really started to go downhill. So walk us through this. I was at this point isolated from my friends and, and family, again, because, you know, she was trying to control all the things that I did, whether it was where I lived, who I saw, how I spent my time, everything revolved around her needs. Um, and the constant, the calls and the texts that I really enjoyed in the beginning of the relationship were now sort of more about control and manipulation. And I was definitely pulling away by that point. I knew the relationship was doomed. I couldn't see myself marrying her or being able to sort of survive over the long term in the relationship. Part of me felt that I should just walk away at that point. But, uh, you know, there was, uh, there, were, there was still this harking back to the beginning and what it was like in the beginning. At that point, I didn't, I still, I didn't know about love bombing and things like that. So I didn't know that that's what that was. But I just wanted to try and get back that loving, amazing, fun time that we, I, I felt like I knew we could have. She knew at that point that she was losing me and so she started to withdraw affection, sex, time with me. She started making it difficult to see her and was spending time with other people. And looking back and looking back on it now, with what I know of her, I do wonder if she was starting to see um in a romantic sense other people. I'm not certain. I never would have thought it while we were together, but the more I know about her now, it is a possibility. So needless to say, at that point, our relationship was becoming very difficult. Um, we had a couple of momentary breakups where I broke it off because I just it's just so bloody impossible to deal with. Um, it couldn't negotiate, couldn't discuss any issues. 
because she it would just devolve into name calling and yelling and she would project everything back onto me. And it just, it would wear me down so much that I felt like I had no other option to walk away. And both times she turned up at the foot of my bed at three o'clock in the morning, crying her eyes out, banging and promising things would be better. And, you know, I would take it back because I loved her and I wanted it to work. We started going to counseling. It was her personal therapist, which I don't think was a good idea. And I think while he sort of clocked it to a certain extent, he most probably wasn't the best person to help us. But anyway, when we when we started going, I was really well prepared and I went in with a long list of what I thought we need to work on. And she was so shocked because she thought that there was nothing wrong with her and that it was all my fault. And it was so funny listening her, to her talk to the therapist. Some of the things that she said to him were just laughable. For example, um, she said that I don't discipline my son properly when he sneezes because he doesn't cover his mouth. Like he might have been about four or five at that point. And yes, it's very annoying. And yes, you're constantly asking a kid that age to cover their mouth. Um, and the therapist asked her, what should I do? And her response was that he should be grounded. His iPad taken off, off him for a week and he can't watch TV, blah, blah, blah. And the therapist just laughed and told her that she was being totally unreasonable and, you know, she really was surprised that he would say something like that, that she didn't have his support because I thought that's what she thought she would get going into it. There was many other things. I can't remember all of them, but we came away from that session with a list of five things that she was to work on and I wrote them down so I had concrete evidence of what her therapist said that she needed to do. The next night we were driving to an event and she said, I'm so glad we went to see my therapist and he, that he validated that it was, there was nothing that I needed to work on. Oh, I'm sorry, what do you mean? I said, I've got that list of things that he said that you needed to work on and there was five of them and I wrote them down so we could keep track of them. And that was just like after the first session and she swore black and blue that I was making this up. And I was so gobsmacked, I just, I couldn't, I didn't even know how to respond to that. And at the next set of traffic lights, I just got out of the car and walked away because I just couldn't take it. I just, anyway, I should have gone home after that and I should have called it all off, but I crumbled and I took a taxi to the event where she proceeded to ignore me for the rest of the night. Um... And this was this was like the beginning of the very end, I think, because I realized that it just wasn't going to work. And so this is where things sort of start to get start to get nasty. Um, when I when I finally did break it off, she firstly was super embarrassed that another relationship for her had failed. Um, and by my counts, at that point. In the 20 years preceding me, she'd had more than 20 relationships against my my two. That was her and my uh, ex-partner. Um, so she was well used to relationships breaking up. So, you know, I think the embarrassment of another one. So she asked me to keep it a secret and still act like we were together by going to events together as a couple. And this was, for me, it was really weird and uncomfortable because she became super cold and shut me out of things, but expected me to be there 
for her when she wanted. But also, she would ignore me at these events, even though I came with her and people thought we were still together. So it was it was a really messy time. And while we, we were still seeing each other as friends, which is something that I did want because I, there was part of me that still did love her, um, experiencing her just switching it off was uh, destabilizing, I guess, and confusing. She then wanted to put a three-month on embargo on us dating other people which I agreed to because I had no interest in dating anyone. And there was this little niggle in the back of my mind about how much I still loved her. I was still working away on on me. And I do, if I'm completely honest, I do admit that part of this was about sex. And I think that if I could have continued to have sex and not the relationship, I would have said yes to that at that point. Um, But it's, that's not, possible with someone like her um and I was also I think I was because I felt like we did have that chemistry and connection however manufactured I realize it is now I was worried that I wouldn't be able to find someone that I would have that with again and that would be exciting adventurous fun and she was really good at the loving side of things when she wanted to be I guess she had a lot of practice so you know um, that I now look back and I know that that stuff is not really real and it wasn't really about me. It was about her getting what she needed. But at that point, I didn't know all of this. So, I, you know, I, I thought that it was real uh, and I was worried that I wasn't going to get, find it again. Um, but anyway, I I knew that given her relationship history that she'd struggle to be single. Uh, and at that point, I said to her that I am okay if she feels like she means to start dating. The only thing that I asked of her was that she told me if she started seeing someone so I could manage my expectation. And she swore, no, 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 three months, it's not going to, nothing's going to happen. About a month in, she started becoming much more secretive. She hit a phone for me, suddenly not available and all the rest. And I knew immediately what that meant. And I even said to her that I know something's going on and I'm fine with it, but she swore black and blue that nothing was going on and I was just becoming needy. I was now becoming the problem. Um, But during this time, she still expected and demanded things from me, like me to help her with a job or run errands or do something for her. But at the same time, she was very distant and cold. And um, it was really strange because it was like, she's not letting me go, maybe because she wants to control me, but She's also giving me nothing and it was disorientating for me. I got to the point that I was annoyed because she wouldn't respond to me when I asked something of her or even when I text her or whatever. Um, and so she started calling me possessive. Um, so the, the gaslighting, you know, was was starting to happen big time. All I wanted was an equal friendship and I felt that she was playing games with me. So. At that point, I said, okay, that's it. I'm enough. She wouldn't let me. There would be always, there's, there's, there's hooks to keep me there. Um, like, for example, she wouldn't let me organize anyone else to look after my cat while I went away on holidays. And I think that was her way of controlling me and also spying on me. Um, 
you know, keeping keeping some sort of hook in there. And it and it started to become cruel because I wanted to move on and I knew that there was nothing there for me anymore. But she played me like a psychopath plays with a cat they're about to kill, you know, hooking me in, being cruel, cold, then spinning me out over and over and pl- just playing with me. And she would implement all these contact rules and then and then she would break them because she would come to me to ask me for something. Um, and I, at that point, I admit that I wasn't handling what was going on because it was this push and pull and I really didn't anticipate the coldness that came um, with the, the discard, I guess. And I was starting to... It was starting to destabilize me and I was starting to have a breakdown. And and I think there was my response to that was that I started trying to communicate with her more. And so I did text her more. I was in shock. I I can't explain how my body re- was reacting, but it was like a grief process. And I guess I was going through that denial phase. Um and I was I was acting in a way that shocked me. And this is when the flying monkey arrived in the form of her best friend. Um, and I would call this person a uh, malevolent flying monkey. So I organized to meet with, with her friend to try and understand what was going on and why she was being so cruel. Uh, and I look back on it now and I realized that this friend is a meddler and an enabler and also has her own ego that needed to be stroked. So she didn't, I think she enjoyed the process. I, I don't know. And I don't know if she really understood what my ex's mental health needs were, but she certainly has not done anything to help her get any support that she needs. And I think she enabled some of the behaviour. I think her ego enjoyed playing this role of the intermediary. Um, and at this point, my ex and her bestie, they really did a number on me. Um, there was about a month where I didn't really contact her and I saw her, I bumped into her at a community event and we had a good conversation. We agreed to meet up the next day and go for a swim. Anyway, she turned up the next morning crying at the door before she even came in to tell me that she was seeing someone else. I was like, oh, yeah, I knew that. I, I like, I knew that was going on and I was upset. Um, but the funny thing was that it was, it was civil I did my best to to remain friendly. We talked about staying close. Um, her new lover was Polly, and my ex was definitely not emotionally cut out for being in a Polly relationship. But she said to me that if her new lover wanted to open up the relationship, it could only be me. It's like I would have to be that person. It's like no fucking thank you. Um, so I've just that was not somewhere I wanted to go. Anyway, over the next couple of weeks, we chatted a bit on the phone and we texted a bit. And, you know, one night we had a three-hour phone conversation and another night she came over and we laid on my bed and we spooned for the nights. It was just this really weird push and pull. Um, And I, you know, I think I was desperate to cling on to her and I think she was playing with me. But my my bodily response was that I needed her. And I would just take anything that I could get at that point. Um, we had organized, at this time, we organized for her to come to an event where my work was showing. And 
over the years. She was really supportive and very involved in the work that I did. So I really wanted to be there. She picked me up. We drove to the event and we were going to dinner after it was over. And as we were walking down the street, she said to me in a really patronizing way, you know, you should go out and date. You know, there's so many people that like you. This person would be good for you, blah, blah, blah. And I responded by saying, well, actually, I am going out on a date on Saturday night. And like instantly her demeanor changed. She became angry and started demanding to know who it was. And I didn't want to tell her because she knows everyone in this community. I mean, she calls herself the gay mafia and she has a million sycophants and hangers-on that, you know, that just love her. Um, and I just really wanted to go out on this date without her meddling. I didn't want, I didn't want to know what she knew about this person. I didn't want her to contact, you know, she would, she'd go, she would go off and contact this person or other people, uh, and get involved. Um, well, she didn't take that very well and just started yelling at me in front of everyone in the middle of this really busy street physically pushed me up against a wall and stood nose to nose with me with her hand on my chest shouting at me to tell her who it was it was like it was like a raging tiger i'd never seen her that angry um anyway i refused and so she stormed off after shouting at me for a minute or two and left me stranded there and she she had driven my house keys were in her car I had $20 on me, which wasn't enough to get home. Um, and so I, I was, I, and I didn't know where she'd gone. I was calling and texting her for about, I reckon, 45 minutes to an hour. And she finally responded and said that she was at home and she didn't care how I got home. She'd put the keys in my letterbox. Um, and that was it. We wouldn't see each other ever again. I got home and they weren't there. So I waited out the front of my house about half an hour and she drove by, opened the window and literally threw them at me and drove off. Um, and, and so after that, I sort of, I didn't contact her and I waited to see if she would apologize. Um, and of course she didn't. I heard from her a couple of da days later because I was going on holidays and she was going to be feeding my cats. She got in contact with me to say, I will be over to feed the cats, blah, 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 at these times, whatever. And I and I just said, no, um, I've given you a couple of days to wait to see if you would apologize and you haven't. And clearly you feel no remorse for your behavior and what you did was absolutely inappropriate. And I just said, I just, I want you out of my life. Um, you can drop my house, spare house keys over. I just, you're not to enter my house. I don't want to see you again. Blah, blah, blah. Anyway, she refused. She said, no, you said that I could look after your cats. So I am looking after your cats. And I said, no, you're not. That's, um, like I think it was just her way of maintaining some control over me. Anyway, so like many heated texts went backwards and forwards. I tried to maintain le a level of decency. I didn't get into any name calling, but hers got nastier and nastier, ending with, and I quote her saying to me, fuck off, cunt. You're a shitty piece of crap as a human, 
and an even worse girlfriend. What a waste of three and a half years. I should never have slept with you. What a huge mistake. Hope you rotten hell. And then when I find out who the girlfriend, the, the date is, I will interfere with your new relationship so it can be destroyed, just like you tried to destroy me. That was, that, <laughs> things stopped there. Anyway, the Saturday night when I was meant to go out on this date, she turned up at the event to see who I was with. I'd actually cancelled the date because I suspected that there would be trouble. And so I turned up by myself and she arrived at the theatre and she pulled me outside and she had a go at me and said some pretty mean things that got me upset. I went back into the theatre and I looked, I had some friends in there and I looked for them and sat with them. She then comes into the theatre. She wasn't going to the movies. She came into the theatre and searched the whole theatre until she found me. This is dark. She couldn't walk in and just see where I was until she found me to see who I was sitting with. And then when she realised I was sitting with Fran, she started texting me throughout the movie saying that I was a, I was on a liar and I wasn't on a date because I was sitting with friends and all the rest. Anyway, the stupid thing is that this wasn't, it wasn't the end. We went back and forth for months after this. She'd contact me, I'd respond and open up like it wounded me. I'd get all emotional and I'd try to get her to communicate about what was happening and how I was feeling and I was a mess. I was so confused and it was kind of this uh, like a breakup version of idealised, devalued, discard cycle because she'd be nice then she'd be nasty and then she totally blanked me at at an event, walked past me and not even acknowledged me, wouldn't even make eye contact. One day... I walked past her with my kids. She said hello to the kids, ignored me. My kids are going, what just happened? And they were like innocent little beings. And, you know, they'd never seen anything like that before. Um, Anyway, one day I get a call from a private number and it's a policewoman. And this woman went on to say that my ex feels like I'm harassing her and that while she doesn't want to press charges, she just wants me to stop. It was like, Fucking hell. I was so stunned. I didn't even, I was so shocked I didn't even get the person's name. It turns out, I find out years later that it wasn't legit. It was a friend um, who may or may not have been a policewoman, but it was her narrative and it was just her way of telling people that I was so crazy that I was harassing her and she had to call the police. And she was really good at playing the victim. I'd seen her do it you know, with friends and other people dozens of times. But, uh, you know, she was now, I was now this psycho lesbian and she was the victim. Overnight, I was blocked by about 40 people on Facebook, which I didn't really care about. It was more, I didn't know what what she was, how, how she was going about doing this, but she must have been contacting each mutual friend and telling them that I'm a psycho lesbian. Um, and then I had people, and these are maybe you, you call, also call them flying monkeys, but I had people contacting me going, oh, I'm so sorry you're going through with such a hard time. And then and then they'd go back to my ex and say that I was getting in contact with them, telling them stories about her when it was them contacting me and me not saying anything. It's so, so fucked up. And so many people wanted to be her friend because of who she is in the community. Even people that 
have told me that they know what she's like and what she does to people. They choose her because it's better for them. Uh, and throughout of all of this, there was only one set of friends that saw through it and stood up for me. Um, they told me that she rang them to say I was being a psycho and that they couldn't be friends with her or, and me at the same time. They told her, you know, that what she was doing was wrong and that she was alienating me from the community and, and making up stories about me and they don't support it. Um, I also heard later that she would ring other community groups and say that if I'm invited to their official events that she wouldn't attend in her official capacity. People that I wasn't even associated with at the time. So she like really did a number on me. Um, and that really messed me up for quite a while. It took me a long time to get over how that ended. I ended up going to see a therapist who specialised in grief and childhood trauma. And she told me that while she can't diagnose her, her behaviour was consistent with narcissism, borderline personality, suggested I read the book Walking on Eggshells, which I did, and that was a fucking eye-opener. Explained so much. It was so relatable. Um, all the things that were going on, the reactions to things, etc. And once I once I read this and read other stuff on narcissism, everything really started to fall into place, like the love bombing, the control, the manipulation, the risk-seeking behaviours, the intense fear of abandonment, the lack of empathy, the idealisation and devaluation, scarring. It just made sense. And at that point, it was that point that I started to heal. And so I read a lot about it and it really did make me feel better. At the time, there was nothing like this podcast out there. Um, so it was more sort of reading blogs and, and different books and things like that. But um, really realising that there was, that it wasn't me, effectively, um, that I, there's nothing that I could have done to, to stop this or avoid this. Um, and, and also realising that she most probably didn't even love me. She did it to get what she needed, which was what to be wanted. So all the love bombing and things like that, I, I don't think it was real. Um, it, yeah, I, I, it's, I, I have a different perspective on it now, obviously. But, but anyway, this is, this is where the interesting bit starts. <laughs> the story is not over. Um, her new relationship, the woman she started seeing straight after me, was over in about six months. And immediately she started seeing this other woman, we'll call her Jenny. And the thing, one, the first thing that surprised me about it was this was a woman with kids. Uh, it, so she clearly did learn from our relationship that no mum is going to choose her over the kids. But stupidly, she went there again. Anyway, this relationship went on for a few years. And at some point I heard through other people that it was pretty volatile. And so I thought, I'm going to send this new partner a message because I just wanted to tell her what I had learnt, I guess. Um, it wasn't a long message, um, but it was really just to say, don't ignore the red flags. This is who she is. She's a compulsive liar. Don't believe the things that she tells you. Um, and, and you're not crazy. Um, and I said, I'm happy to have a chat if she ever needs to. I didn't hear anything from her. 
But about a year or so later, I get a phone call late one afternoon and it's her, the girlfriend's, the Jenny. They've broken up and she goes on to tell me how volatile their relationship was. She said they broke up around 50 times in four and a half years and a lot of crazy shit went down, including the ex having an affair while Jenny was in hospital and, you know, lots of pretend overdoses, jumping out in front of her car, trying to stop her on the way home from work, turning up at her work and just like lots of stuff. But I guess Jenny's story is her story to tell and you never know, she might be interested in coming on here, but there were so many striking similarities between us that the two of us connecting helped, they helped each other heal because she was a mess for a long time um, because her relationship and the breakup was so much worse than mine. The great thing is now she's in a fantastically healthy relationship with a really lovely woman. And it was cathartic for me as well because I realized even more that it wasn't me and I had no control over it. But that's not the end. <laughs> There's a bit more, a bit more to the story. Um, during this time, I also connected with the woman that she had an affair with on Jenny and the, the woman that she had a relationship directly after me. And what I've been able to discover was the extent of the lies that she told, um, especially to the next person after me. They're really, they're un unbelievable. Um, and I guess this could be described as triangulation where, you know, she's pitting the two of us against each other. Um, so the, the next girlfriend, the ex told her, that I was waking my kids up in the middle of the night, putting them in the car and driving two hours to her house to park outside her house and watch her and come and walk around her house in the middle of the night. And then I knew intimate details of her life that were particularly sensitive, I guess, and that I was going to out her to her employer and get her, make her lose her job. It was a rubbish. And she realized that after, after, the relationship ended, but it just goes to show the lengths that the ex will go to to destroy that person and triangulate it also, but also be a victim. Anyway, a few years later, I was scrolling on a dating site. I'm almost at the end <laughs> um, and came across her most recent girlfriend. They had been together for a year and I thought, why not? Let's see if she'll match with me. And, and lo and behold, she did. Anyway, so connecting with her was a real eye-opener. Um, she has experience in mental health and she had no idea that she was being love-bombed until I mentioned it to her and it all fell into place for her. Um, and she thinks, what a fucking idiot I am. Like, I'm, I'm meant to be able to recognise this sort of thing and even I, I just didn't see it. They had a lot of similar issues. Um but this girlfriend, she was a bit more emotionally detached, I think you could say, and it's pretty much in it from the six. So it wasn't as emotionally invested. They broke up because they had a mutual friend who was dying of cancer and just wanted to have some good sex before she died. Well, our ex decided that she absolutely must be that person to give her that experience um, at the expense of her current relationship. And so it began in a affair with this dying woman we all think that it was because this woman was rich 
and she thought she may be able to get her hands some money because she very quickly invested herself into the family of this woman as well and, you know, did the love bombing on the, on the family as well. It was very shortly because the woman passed away shortly afterwards, but from what we could see, the ex carried on like she had loved the abs- lost the absolute love of her life. She was just like in the community, everybody on Facebook and all the rest are just like, Oh my God, you poor thing. That's so awful. Um, it was like a matter of weeks that they were together. Um, the great thing out of all of this is that the three of us, the, the, the last ex and Jenny and I become really great friends and we've supported each other really well. Uh, we've also been visible in the community as supporting each other. And I think that was really important. So that was really the best thing to come out of um, the experience. And I guess the sad thing about all of this is um, I don't believe that she will ever be be able to have a stable, loving, long-term relationship because she just doesn't know how and she doesn't recognise that she has a problem. And I do feel sorry for her because of that because I know that she just wants to be loved and she is like this because I feel she didn't experience a nurturing environment when she was younger and there's trauma for her around that. You know, I, I just I don't know if she'll ever get the help that she needs and um, and that's because she doesn't recognise that she has a problem, I think, Um at the end of it all um so yeah I really don't know what what is going to become of her me I'm gloriously single and I don't plan for that to change I'm finally in a happy place that it would take a lot of convincing for me to to change you know I think the good thing is I'm most probably a little bit more aware of things that go on and definitely um know that I would be better at acknowledging red flags and addressing things like that and you know so yeah so that's my story and if you had any words of wisdom for everyone listening what would they be call out bad behavior and and know what your boundaries are um and know what what you will tolerate and stick hard with those because when you're in a relationship with a narcissist, you let go of those. It might just be little by little, but you do let go of them over time until you get to the point where you realize that, you know, it's a bad, it's a bad thing and, and nothing's going to change, et cetera. But um, I think if, if you are stronger in the beginning, you recognize red flags, know that behavior is inappropriate and that you're not being treated well, nicely, you're being lied to, all those sorts of things, take notice and and get the fuck out of there. Well, Natalie, I really want to thank you for being our guest today and sharing your story. 
and you know giving us a really good picture of who you were dealing with and all of the you know kind of insanity that you were dealing with it was crazy making in so many ways and i'm happy that you're on the other side of things and here to tell your story and share your story with everyone so everyone can learn from what you went through and you know a lot of a validation for everyone who's dealing with uh, the exact same thing. So a big thank you for being here with us today. You're welcome. Thank you for inviting me. And um, I really hope that people were able to take something away from this that helps them in the very least and that maybe helps them understand that they were dealing with someone that wasn't rational. It was nothing that nothing they did or nothing that they could do to change that and 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 hopefully let go of let go of that but thank you so thank you once again natalie for being our guest today and if you want to be a guest like natalie was today on our survivor story episodes please do go to our website at narcissistapocalypse.com top of the page there's a button that says guest form when you click on that button it takes you to our guest form page there you can read all of our instructions and either send us an email at narcissistapocalypse at gmail.com or fill out our guest form and press the submit button and please do send it in the format that we ask for also at our website we have our very own safe social network our support group so if you want to join our support group go to narcissistapocalypse.com top of the page there's a button that says support group when you click on that button it takes you to our support group page and there you will see that we have zoom meetings every wednesday night thursday afternoons and saturday nights we also have forum boards for you to post on to get the validation that you need from survivors just like you and it is a wonderful group of people on there and you can share your experiences and make friends as well so if you need support join our support group today. And if you need even more support, please do visit our friends at domesticshelters.org. At domesticshelters.org, they have articles and resources to help you make sense of what you are dealing with. They have every phone number and email address and web address for shelters and agencies, no matter how big or small the town you are in. Domesticshelters.org has it there. It is a wonderful free resource and a wonderful organization. So if you need extra support, please do go to domesticshelters.org. And we here at Narcissist Apocalypse have a new friend to the show, and they are an organization called Shelter Movers, and they can be reached at sheltermovers.com. And Shelter Movers helps survivors of domestic violence transition to a better and safer life, and it is a volunteer organization, a donor-supported organization, charitable organization as well. And what they do is they coordinate moves for people who are getting out of domestic violence. It is an interesting part of the domestic violence escape process, and they help you get to safety, and they also help you get your things out of your home and into storage, all of your belongings into storage, and they can do this for your pets as well, your livestock too. And it is a wonderful organization. It is in Canada, and they are hoping to move into the United States. So if you need help from them or you just want to donate to them, please do go to sheltermovers.com. And that is it for today's episode. So for myself and Natalie, we hope you have a good night.